Soul podcast, focusing on empowerment, embodiment, and self-expression. I'm your host, Jordan Ray, and I chat with thought leaders and inspirational individuals in free-flowing, unfiltered conversation, intended to empower you to love yourself fiercely, live authentically and soulfully. Hello and welcome back, Fierce Souls. And today I have the honour and I will be doing a little bit of fangirling in this introduction because I have the honour of speaking to this amazing woman who I initially came across in 2017 on a Zoom call off the back of a summit and just loved her energy and of course started stalking her I mean following her on socials and then have watched her growth and her too much woman which we will talk about no doubt in a moment so without any further ado welcome Gina Hatsis hello hello everyone and thank you for having me oh thank you for being here as I was saying, you are the founder of the Too Much Woman movement and also award-winning global confidence speaker. The most obvious question there is, tell us more about you, but tell us more about the Too Much Woman movement. Yes. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I was born a too much little girl and I got a lot of messaging early on that the parts of me that as a little girl showed up most naturally I was very dramatic. I was very sensitive. I was very emotional. There's a story in my family that I cried at every single one of my birthday parties. So there's actual photo proof of me behind every single cake with a little candle, six, seven, eight, nine, <laughs> with, you know, tear splotched face and dewy eyes as proof. Um, there was a lot of messaging growing up that I was too much. So I was too sensitive, too emotional, too dramatic. Um, as I grew into my teens, I was too voluptuous and too ambitious and too loud and too opinionated. And as I grew into adulthood, I learned through social conditioning and, and through some praise and feedback that what everyone felt most comfortable with was me dimming down my too muchness. And so I did. I mean, I, I, I was very successful at it. I played by the rules of the game as we all do because our number one need is for love and belonging. And so I learned over and over again to find ways to squelch my too muchness so that people would love and accept me. And the, the great part, and I'm sure anybody who's watching or listening to this can attest to, it worked for a while. You know, I got a lot of great feedback. What a good girl. Uh, what a nice person. She's the best friend you can ever have. You know, men loved it because I was easygoing. I didn't ask for too much. You know, I wasn't too demanding. Even in my, my business, which was speaking early on, I was the only woman in a sea of white men in the speaking industry. And I learned that in order to be successful and accepted and hired and called back, I had to morph myself to become like a middle-aged white man. Now look at me now. And that's, that's <laughs> a far stretch. So I would literally bind my breasts. I would take my hair. It wasn't red at the time. And I would, you know, slick it back into a ponytail. I'd wear fake glasses with no prescription just to tone down my too muchness. And I was very successful. I was very well loved. and. As we all know, we come to the end of all of this positive feedback and there's something deep inside that feels off. And I was very good at overriding it and ignoring it because I had all of this goodness in my life. But we all know that at night, when you put your head down on the pillow, there's a moment of reckoning. And that moment of reckoning is you with you, you facing you. When everyone else has gone away, there's you and you. And that moment of reckoning became so uncomfortable for me that I couldn't hold it back anymore. And I had probably several moments. It wasn't a big aha moment. I know people love these come to Jesus moments where you're like, that's it. That's a, no longer am I squelching my too much. No, it was, a, it was a series of mini heartbreaks 
And the heartbreaks wasn't anybody else breaking my heart. It was me breaking my own heart, the self-betrayal, the overriding who I was. And so I eventually, in my late 30s, coming into my 40s, could not contain it anymore. It's like a beach ball that you kind of hold underwater. And it's fun. It's a fun game for a while. And then you can't do it anymore. And it, it comes up. And the way that it came up for me was deep depression, uh, unhappiness in my, not only my marriage, uh, but in my relationships, uh, frustration with my work. I was unmotivated and here I was a motivational speaker. You know, I just thought I was living a double life. And so quite by accident, and this is an important part, I see, I saw it as an accident. Now I know it was truly divine timing. Uh, quite by accident in 2018, I was invited to speak at an event in Toronto, Canada, where I live. And um, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was going to be 20 people in a bar, like a, a, a open mic night. And they invited me to speak for five minutes on a topic about my body. And uh, I wrote a speech. And then about 48 hours before I was to deliver that speech, I was sitting in my bedroom and I had what I can only describe as a hot flash. It was like, it was, it was just, it was a hot flash girl. Like it was, I was dying. And I thought, what is, and I had this moment where I was like, there's something else you have to say, take this opportunity to say what you really want to say, because as a, as a speaker, you always speak for the audience, but because I thought this was going to be a little schmincy little event, I had this calling to say what I really wanted to say. And what came out was the too much woman speech. So I wrote the speech in an hour. I delivered it two days later. I won this little competition. They put my speech on Facebook and it went viral and literally changed my life. It went viral to 50 million in a matter of months. It was shared by you know, Jay Shetty and Ashton Kutcher. And it just, it, it, it changed my life. And I didn't know at the time what it was about. I was very confused, very overwhelmed. But looking back now, uh, now that I've had a lot of time, especially through COVID, to really sink into, it was the truth, my too muchness, this part of me that I had always squelched, that I had made wrong about me, was actually the most right part about me. And when I dared to share that with the world, something that I thought no one would understand, because women always say, I'm not enough, to share my too much story and have it reverberate the way that it did was a confirmation to me that I was onto something. And that led to um, a book, a world tour, um, incredible opportunity stages and, and a movement. But all of that really was just, it was really just the universe reverberating back the rightness of my story. And so now through COVID, because uh, there is no tour through COVID, no one's really interested or excited about talking about anything. I had some time to really reckon with what happened. And I guess really the reason we're talking today is because I want anybody who's listening to have that moment of reckoning with themselves and not be afraid, not be afraid to look at who they are and to embrace that part of them. So I guess we'll get into that. That was a, quite a lot about me, but it's, it's the, really the foundation of who I am as the too much woman. I have to say that that speech will obviously give links to you at the end but we will link that speech because for me that was such a key moment that mm. I don't have a too much background I have the opposite I was very quiet I mean people think I've quietly spoken now should have yeah. heard me as a teenager yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and at the time that you did that it had been a point where I'd been embracing over the years my femininity my sensuality really getting into my body for the right reasons because I talk openly about the fact that I, there was a period of time where relationships and, and men and sex and my body were all being used to gain something external and point in my journey now was I was looking internally so I'd done this and I'd started to, to step out and do things for myself and then it was almost like you were the next layer to that because then it was but it's okay to be what's perceived as too much actually women have been quiet for far too long and that was a big part of me and a big part of coming in and doing the podcast and the coaching was I hadn't been able to express myself fully in my work 
even in my personal life, I'm probably still on the journey of finding out oh, where my sure. fullest expression is. Oh, so, for sure. So absolutely. You've spoken about it a lot, but as you said, it was pivotal for you and it was pivotal for everybody that was exposed to it and, and got to experience it. So we're talking about women and too muchness and when you start talking to other women who either have that experience or the opposite than not enoughness what are the important parts for you the important elements for them to to know yeah well I, I and I, I'm so excited that you asked that question because I didn't know the answer to that when I was when I wrote the speech and when it went viral and so I've had some time to really sink my teeth into that but what I want to say before I even answer that is you you raise a really important point and the point is when I wrote the speech, I was very clear that no one would understand it. I had been working with women for 20 years at that point, and their experience, as I said, was more, I'm not enough than I'm too much. And so I thought, no one's going to get this story. It's a risk, but I'm going to tell it because it's mine. What I've learned since then, and particularly on the global tour, because it wasn't just speaking to women who are kind of like me in my city. It was going across the world, speaking to all different kinds of people who identified as women and hearing their stories and realizing that the story of the too much woman is the opposite side of the exact same coin as the not enough story. Because in both instances, what they are is us defining ourselves and our identity based on a limitation that we get imposed upon us. So if you feel that you're not enough or you feel that you're too much, it's the same confine, it's the same jail cell. Just the, the language is different. You know, if you are too emotional, you're not tough enough, right? If you are too sensual, you're not modest enough. And so it's really just a, a languaging difference. But in essence, the messaging is who you are, as you are, is wrong. And so I think it's anybody who's listening who's like, I don't know if I've been too much, you know, too much shows up with different people in different ways. And on the tour, it was fascinating to give people the opportunity to claim their too muchness. And it was so different from, for every woman. So for some women, it was too nice. For some women, it was too loud, too quiet, too humble, too, I mean, just too intelligent. It just, it, it was so diverse and so different. And so who am I to say what anyone's too muchness is? And I remember, and I'll answer your question, but I just have to share. I remember yeah. during that year, just there were literal thousands of messages I would get on social media and I would, either see their profile or, you know, I had young boys and I had men, I had 70 year old priests telling me that the too much woman message resonated with them. And I, I realized it's none of my business to define what the too much woman is. Uh, people identify with the feeling of being told that they are wrong and not able to fully express themselves. And that's really what we're talking about. Um, so to answer your question about the elements of that, what I've come to know now, and this is really thanks to COVID, thanks for thanks to having a pause on, on my tour. In fact, I was just, just in Europe, in Paris, when COVID hit, and we had a tour planned for Europe, and UK was on the list, never made it there on tour. So I come back, the tour is canceled, and I have more reckoning with myself what just happened, it's been a whirlwind, what is this really about? And what, I, what became very clear to me and has been the focus of my work since that time is that the elements of stepping into your too muchness or whatever that thing is, your sensuality, your, your, your honesty, your, all of those, those elements that you're afraid or ashamed of is self-trust. And self-trust is the assured reliance that no matter what, I will have my own back. The assured reliance that I won't betray myself in the face of pressure, in relationship, uh, when I'm speaking up, asking for what I need, having clarity for myself, standing boldly, starting a podcast, moving into a new relationship, opening myself up to trusting friends. A lot of women have 
the mother wound and we can't get close to other women based on our childhood. So all of these elements really are rooted in the same deficit, which is a deficit in self-trust. We cannot step fully into all of that we want to become, step fully into our dreams, step fully into relationships, step fully into our body, into our sexuality, step fully into joy and pleasure and orgasm and, and all of the, the richness of life if we don't inherently trust ourselves. So that's really become the focus of, of my work is inviting women into a space where they can learn to trust themselves deeply. And it is an ever evolving process. And I think it's really interesting because that self-trust is, for the women that I coach, is one of the hardest places to get to, that really being able to trust their decisions, trust in themselves, get to that place because of, as you said, mother wound, father wound, all of those experiences growing up and in relationships. And so to hear that as the key element underneath too much woman is really interesting it's that connection to authenticity it's learning for me it's learning who we really are and then undoing everything we learned about why we couldn't be that person yeah it's really the hardest thing um in theory because we are groomed socialized by a system that tells us that we can't trust ourselves you know think of childhood getting upset because someone has a doll that you want or um, because you're not hungry or you want to keep playing, but it's bedtime. And a child gets upset and emotional. And most parents, well-meaning or otherwise, uh, will say, stop crying. Don't be angry. Go to your room until you can calm down. And so continuous messages that we need to override how we feel that it's wrong, that we can't trust our feelings, which, you know, and then as we get older, you know, not being able to trust ourselves with other people, uh, parents know best, teachers know best, doctor knows best. And so we are never supported and taught how to listen to our bodies, how to discern what we're feeling and why and really lean into opportunities to trust ourselves. You know, it's so interesting because I will work with women in their 30s, 60s, 80s, and we'll talk about giving ourselves opportunities to trust ourselves. And they'll be like, I'm not ready yet. And what's so fascinating to me is the only way that you'll know that you can trust yourself is if you give yourself an opportunity to trust yourself. It's not about like doing all this prep work and all this healing and then taking a risk. It's about taking a risk. And as you're moving through speaking your truth, as you're moving through asking for what you need or setting a boundary, it's through the daring and the the practice of that, that we start to build what I call your self-trust muscle. It's literally a muscle. And we have to, to, if we haven't used it for 20, 30, 40 years, if we've always deferred to other people, if we're recovering people pleasers, if we've always prioritized other people's peace or happiness or comfort over our own, if we've been in relationship where we swallow what we need because we don't wanna upset the apple cart, if we prioritize our children over our own happiness in every instance, and I don't know a woman who doesn't fall into one of those categories, she doesn't want to stir up trouble at work. So she doesn't say anything at the meeting when, you know, her ideas would be helpful. In all of these instances, what we're doing is we are letting this muscle go flabby. And so then, you know, a woman's like, I really want to, to go for it. I want to start a podcast. I want to write a book. I, I want to quit my job. I want to travel solo. I want to leave this relationship. And we haven't worked this muscle and we try to lift this immense weight and we self-sabotage, we have imposter syndrome. I mean, it's so hard because we haven't been to the gym in 20, 30 years. And now we're like, oh, I'm going to lift this weight. And so really the practice is in small ways and then in bigger ways to work on our self-trust, building that muscle and showing ourselves that, you know, the, one of the most important things about self-trust is this. We think that self-trust means I have 
this thing that I want to say or this thing that I want to do. And I have every confidence that I'm going to do it and I'm going to be successful. But that's not self-trust. Self-trust means I'm going to do this thing because it's in integrity for me. And no matter how the person responds, no matter what the outcome is, no matter the repercussions, no matter the fallout, no matter the risks or the consequences, I will be okay because I will take care of me. I will do what I need to do to take care of me because my priority is being in integrity with me. And there's a big difference between the two. We, we're still gonna make mistakes. There will be loss when you speak up. Uh, there will be failure when you try something. Um, but it's, it's about the recovery. It's knowing that I will ultimately take care of Gina. There's a couple of things I wanna say off the back of that. One example that came to mind actually was a, a family friend who lost their partner. She's in her 80s. They've been together 50 years. And you know he was always the one that filled the car up he was always the one that did those kind of things because that was their relationship no criticism it was just that's how it was and I remember worrying about her thinking she's now going to be able to do all of this and going through the process obviously of losing him as well and I remember speaking to her and she was like a teenager I went to fill the car up for the first time and actually she embraced that self-trust she absolutely fell and ran on the side of I have all these firsts I have all these opportunities now for firsts and I just thought that was so beautiful and there would have been no wrong to fall the other side there would have been no wrong to be finding it hard and going through the grief and having to to think about everything she was doing but she didn't and I just thought that was that was beautiful so that came to mind as you were talking the other thing you mentioned at the end of that was recovery And the whole time you were talking, all I could think about was vulnerability and that vulnerability as a strength that it's absolutely okay to be vulnerable. Unfortunately, a lot of us, a lot of women have had that situation where that vulnerability has been turned, you know, whether it is that, oh, you're too emotional or the one I always heard was, what are you crying for? Or in the workspace, certainly in in the work that I've done and coming from a background of working with people there was an acceptance of our own emotions within the work that if you were showing your emotions then that meant you weren't strong enough to do the job or that was quite often the interpretation rather than embracing the vulnerability in that and how much more you would actually have to offer through expressing these emotions in a healthy way and then to be able to connect with everyone you're working with and it's that, it's, we're back to the trust, the self-trust, but it's that trusting in our vulnerability. It's been able to trust that at the end of it, one, it's okay to, to be vulnerable. One, it's okay to feel your emotions and allow it to flow. And as long as it's dealt with healthily and you're not hurting yourself or anyone else. And also knowing that we're able to pick ourselves back up. And just because we are having a day where it's a duvet day in a sad video or whatever it might be, it's not that I'm in a low period it's not that I'm depressed or any of those messages that we might have received it's just this is a fact of life this is where we are and we'll pick ourselves back up after it and actually most of the time from my learning is I come back a lot stronger I think an important element that needs to be emphasized and we need to touch on it when we're talking about self-trust and when I'm speaking to my clients about ways to trust ourselves It sounds like a very singular um, action or solitude, something that we do practice in solitude. You know, trusting myself has to do with me, myself, and I. And I want to ex-nay that right off the cuff because part of trusting myself is trusting that I can surround myself with people that I can share the truth with and be vulnerable and messy with. And that part of my recovery, and not just recovery, but part of my existence in my too muchness requires me to surround myself with people who will hold me in that space because it takes a brave soul to fully be themselves. And so self-trust doesn't mean that I live in a little bubble in my too much world and I'm 
it's it's all about trusting me. Part of the self-trust process is allowing myself to crack open. And I always say that I have, you know, my four quarters. I'd rather have four quarters than a hundred pennies. So I have four quarters, four women in my life who are the foundation, my pillars, and they're very different women. And our relationships, my relationship with each one of them is very different. And I've cultivated them over many, many years. One of them we've been close with since childhood and one of them more recently in the past year and a half. But these relationships are essential to my self-trust workout because with each one of them, I'm practicing self-trust. Self-trust doesn't exist in a bubble. It's something that we work and it's woven through our relationships. And so it's really important that as women and particularly as women who want to expand and grow and become more self-aware that we don't exist in isolation, that we don't try to do this work. Most women try to do this work on their own or perhaps with a therapist, which is wonderful, but we need community. We need one another as women. We are meant to be collaborative. We are meant to be in spaces with other women, in tents, in nests, in circles. So much of my tour was about women communicating with other women. It's not the Gina show. It's it's everyone brings something to the table and we need everyone, each one of us, uh, to be able to grow and flourish fully. So I think it's so important to underscore that self-trust isn't just about me. It's about trusting that I can cultivate relationships to support me because we need one another. And while women may be the, this, the gender that tends to befriend more and, and uh, be more in community, what I also know to be true about women, about myself, is that I may be vulnerable and share to a degree. But each one of us, most of us, I will say, has a point where we don't share the most intimate, frightening, shameful parts. And so we, even us as women, we have our limits and to, to always be expanding and pushing, pushing those edges, which helps us build our self-trust and also helps us know that we are supported. Those two are essential. We can't have one without the other you mentioned COVID as part of your reflection. I think my experience with friends and my colleagues was that was also a time of having to show a level of vulnerability that maybe hasn't been shown before because now I don't have kids at home. I was very fortunate not to have to homeschool, but I was also very aware that I was fortunate not to have to be juggling that and work. And that actually it was, well, in that case, what can I do? How can I make it a little easier because you're trying to juggle more than I am? But it was that women needing to realise they needed to reach out and ask for support or be honest. You talked about shame and there's that, that shameful thing of saying, I've, you know, I've had enough of my kids, I need a break. But actually suddenly families were there 24-7, couldn't get away from each other. And then, obviously, not just the women, but the women being put in this place of, I'm really embarrassed and ashamed that I'm even thinking these thoughts. This is such an important conversation. It's so I'm so glad you talked. You're talking about it because it, although it's not just women, women are socially responsible for the emotional regulation of the family and their partners. This is socialized as, as from little girls, right? So we are the ones who enter our room, we scan the room and mentally, you know, consciously or unconsciously, is everyone okay? What does everyone else need? How can I make everyone feel better? We are the peacemakers. We are the, and so we're socialized. And if we're not that, then we are wild. We are the scapegoats. We are the, the black sheep but we are socialized. A good woman is a woman who keeps her family together, who takes care of the unit, who emotionally regulates her partner. Women in relationships with uh, straight men are the emotional regulators of their partners. 
So we are checking in, making sure, are you okay? What do you need? How can I make this home, your life, uh, supportive for you? And because this is how we are socialized to not pay attention to how we are, to make that the last priority, if it's even on the list, all the more reason why it's shameful. And I'm glad you brought that up. It's shameful to say, I'm struggling. It's shameful to say, I need help. It's shameful to say, my kids aren't doing well. It's shameful to say, my partner's depressed or obsessed with video games or a workaholic. It's shameful to identify any kind of trauma or ill in the home because it's our responsibility, unspoken, but our responsibility to manage. And if it's not going well, we've done something wrong. And so when that becomes the outfacing priority, our own well-being, our own sense of self, our own mental nourishment and stability comes second. So a lot of women suffer in silence and it brews this internal rage and dis-ease literally and figuratively because you know emotions are energy and motion and so we take all of our feelings our sadness our frustration our guilt our worry and we like a beach ball we suppress it all and that energy needs to go somewhere and so when we are exhausted having to manage it um, we become anxious and depressed we become ill we we lash out. There are many ways that we become dysfunctional as a way to manage these feelings. And I think it's important to acknowledge that because as women, we just feel bad and guilty about not being able to handle it as opposed to talking about it. And I'm glad you also mentioned the emotion and the energy because certainly rage as you mentioned when we're talking too much for women angry women and rage is so often viewed negatively instead of an acceptance of actually maybe they're just filled up maybe they just need to be able to go and release which there is an acceptance if a man is feeling angry and not lashes out at a person but hits the wall or expresses it in some way a woman does the same thing oh she's crazy absolutely absolutely or we end up with it coming out the other way I'm one of these that when I feel angry I get the tears and again it's about the appropriateness of that and where you might be and then again it it's not seen as anger it's seen as weakness right. you're you're crying it's a weakness it. yes mm -hmm. again we're back to the those two sides yeah too much too angry or not enough too That's weak right. can't handle absolutely and i can't imagine being a woman today in any part of the world frankly and not if you're paying attention if you're actually paying attention and not being angry and if you're not angry, my assertion is you're, you're not paying enough attention <laughs> or you're, you're completely distracted. I mean, there's, we have reason to be, it's justifiable rage um, that is not socially acceptable. You know, I, I, across platform, I, I create a lot of content and uh, the past couple of months, I've shared a lot about what I call just, you know, my midlife wisdom. I don't know if it's quite midlife. I don't know when that actually starts, but a lot of I've I've taken on the name uh, nickname Big Sister on TikTok. So, sharing my pers my midlife perspective, I'm almost fifty, and using strong words and strong language, and asserting my experience, my feelings. I had a series called "I'm a grown ass woman in my forties, and here are things I will no longer do." And it was a whole series of things I would no longer do. And the backlash 
particularly from men, about this angry woman and how no man would want a woman so angry <laughs> was quite frankly amusing to me. I, I, it was uh, uh, triggering and amusing at the same time because women are not designed to have boundaries. We're not designed to speak up. We're sugar and spice and everything nice. And so the moment a woman doesn't smile, the moment a woman doesn't prioritize a man's comfort and ease, she's labeled as angry, crazy, Nazi feminist, um, and the list goes on. And so it's been fascinating to witness the judgment around a woman who's not, I'm not even yelled, and I have right to yell. I think every woman has a right to be angry and yell. Um, and I'm just speaking my boundary, my personal boundary. And that's seen as, as crazy and angry. And uh, we see this in politics all the time. We see this in corporations all the time. A woman who has a strong voice and is not animated in her face where she is smiling and being sweet and gentle is labeled a bitch. Whereas a man speaking the exact same words in the exact same tone is seen as a leader. He's taken seriously. And so we have a lot of work to do in the unlearning for men and women, because misogyny is, you know, it doesn't care about gender, right? So we have a lot of unlearning to do ourselves around what it means to be a powerful woman and how we can show up authentically that way. And I think without crossing too much into politics, because we could get stuck there, but I do think that we had some really big examples of that again during the pandemic. And I know looking at New Zealand, I know New Zealanders had their own views about what they experienced. I'm holding Jacinda up as a, as a perfect example. Yeah. However, she could be authentic and have that softer side to her compared to Trump in America and obviously us with, I can't even remember which PM we had. <laughs> so, um, but obviously this very masculine toxic narcissism yeah and actually there were examples around the world where you could still handle the pandemic but without that and also I can't think of a female example that was the equivalent of this toxic narcissism of all the leaders that were that were there and were active they they were coming from a very different perspective and the other bit to that and you mentioned it with the misogyny is women unlearning tearing each other down mm -hmm. and supporting each other you don't have to agree I think somewhere and certainly on social media at the moment with a lot of topics we've lost this we can disagree with somebody and yet we don't have to tear them down about it. We can disagree, but we can still support them. And we can disagree and we can still see that they're empowered and allow them that to be that empowered. And somehow that's all seemed to have disappeared and there's a loss of women calling out other women as well. Mm -hmm. That's a whole complex um, subject for sure. And a bit of a, a sore point for me because... I am in Toronto, Canada, which is important because I do have dual citizenship. I also have an American citizenship. My mother's from the States. And not again, not to get too political, but there's no question that I had a really hard time respecting and being okay with the women who would support laws and government that 
were, didn't have their best interests at heart, didn't have women's best interests at heart. And I spent a lot of time through the pandemic and through the past elections, just you know, leading a woman's movement, caring about women's rights, seeing the regression of, seeing them being stripped of their bodily autonomy um, and wanting to align with my sisters uh, across the way and having so much anger around that. So there's, I think that the underlying important thing is how much healing is required. And, you know, it's hard, you know, we are all fish in the fishbowl. So it's very hard when we are swimming in our own water to see our own internalized misogyny, mine as well. I mean, it, it's not something just, just because I talk about it and teach about it that I don't have it. Uh, there's no question that I, that I have to check myself constantly. I'm a white woman. And so I have my own privilege and my own uh, veil that impacts my worldview. And so uh, as an intersectional feminist, I really care deeply about uh, deconstructing my own misogyny. Um, but again, this is why, and the work that I'm doing now that I'm very excited about has to do with creating opportunities, communities and events where there's intergenerational dialogue interracial dialogue. It's getting women together from 20s to their 70s, from different backgrounds, to be in conversation with one another. Because that's really, that's really what we need to do. We need to talk with each other. We need to look at our commonalities and our common experience and talk about it. And we also, I think, is important to hear one another's perspectives, to see where we're coming from so that we can heal amongst ourselves so that we can be a united front and help heal the world. And that sounds very pie in the sky, but what I know to be true in my work is that when there's a woman who feels supported, seen and heard in her community or by a friend, she goes home and she's a different mother. That's how we, we change things, right? Absolutely. And and I guess as, as the additional bit that and probably where our work kind of diverges but also comes together is there's also a lot of conversations about the emotional well-being of our young people, our adolescents, our children, teenagers, and how we support them within all these various systems. And part of that is also parents, grandparents, aunts, identifying their own healing, identifying their own traumas, realizing it's not just them, as you talked about with the, the too much woman speech and the response, realizing actually this is a shared experience. You might've had your own individual part of it. You might've been in your own boat, but we were all, like, all down on the, on the same sea. Yeah. We've all got a collective healing to do as individuals and that generation generationally if we can do that healing the shift for the next generation and the generation behind that naturally starts to come through yeah because they're going to be parented differently they're going to be responded to differently so absolutely there's that individual level of awareness and identification and being able to step out in the first place and say hang on this I identify with this movement or I, I identify when I hear that person speak. And then there's the collective work as well. We have done a lot of talking. We started with your, how you started and, and your pivotal change and the elements for, for women and, and those key elements. Is there anything we haven't talked about that, you would like to share? Ooh, I want to, I want to, what I feel called to say is on the other side of my too much woman hiatus, where I 
found myself on this this mountain, and it was a it was a glorious dream, uh, traveling the world, meeting the most extraordinary women. It was every dream of mine come true. And then having it all crash, and through the crash, I went through uh, divorce and and uh, you know, dismantling of my my business, my tour, everything that I've come to know. What's been very honest and true and humbling for me is that the process is ongoing. A lot of women come to my work and they say, I want to get to where you're at. I'm not there yet. I'm working on it. You know, how do I get there? And it's such an important point for me to say that there is no finish line. And I don't mean that in a somber way, like you're never going to get there. It doesn't end, girl. I mean it as this is this is the part of life. And having shared stages with some of the most extraordinary women of our day, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert and, and Glennon Doyle and Christian Northrup and these Laverne Cox, I mean, these women who I just revere as, as thought leaders in our world, so many more terrorite trends. And having the great privilege of getting to know them behind the scenes, uh, more in their humanness and their vulnerability, I came to see that we women are just women and we're all on our own journey and it does ebb and flow. And so when women, uh, come to my work and, and they, uh, they see me as this, and I, and I do present that way intentionally online as, you know, uh, my clarity, my lessons, my experience, how to get from A to B. I also want them to know that I have a very human experience and I want to normalize that on my journey, I still ebb and flow. And that is necessary. It's not just that's the way life is. It's necessary. I can only grow to the degree that I'm back in the cocoon again. And then I've got to push my way out of the cocoon and fly. And then I'm back in the cocoon again. And I think anyone who's listening, I want to normalize the experience of the ebb and flow of life and to rest easy in the knowing that it's normal and necessary and important in the growth process, that we have these highs and lows, and not to feel like you're always chasing this end game that you have to arrive at, where one day you're going to wake up and be like, hey, I'm good. I trust myself. I feel confident. I'm fully authentic in all my relationships. Like, there's no finish line, girl. <laughs> like, it, when you're done, you're dead. And so it's, I don't want it to be a somber thought. I want it to be uh actually give you some peace and be like, okay, so this is, can I just relax into this moment knowing this is how it goes for everyone? And so I just, I want to underscore anybody who's listening to this, that where you are right now is exactly the place that you should be. And I don't mean that in a la la positive Pollyanna kind of way. I mean that in, if you knew that to be true, how would you approach this experience differently? Give yourself some grace. Focus on building your self-trust. Give yourself some roots to know that this moment is an opportunity for you to really look at who you are, what's important to you, what are your core values, and to be okay, to be okay with that. That's my wish for, for anyone listening. When you're done, you're dead. Like, that's what I'm taking that's the one I'm taking off that's this. It. um I think there's so many versions of that isn't there the the onion layers or the spiral or and it's that balance as women taking other women through this and, and introducing other women to their own healing of yes I'm further down the path than you are but I haven't reached the finish goal I haven't I'm not at the end I am still doing uh, my approach and and as I said to you actually before we started recording you know your most recent 
Instagram post was on self-abandonment and it's certainly a piece that has just come back up for me again so even though the work's been done before this is now coming up back up in a new form and in a new way with all with all the work I've done so far so now it's there for a different level of investigation or a different part to be looked at so yeah Yeah. and get to give yourself grace for that I, I you know as a woman doing the work that I do I one of the the benefits is that I get this mirror held up to myself every single day that says, this is how I present. I present as a woman who gets it, who's figured it out, who's got all these answers, who helps all these women and leads a movement. But the truth is every day I get up and I confront my same story and it is a spiral. And I come back with new awareness. You know, I confront my abandonment issues constantly on in new ways. And where I used to admonish myself and say, oh, haven't I figured this out already? I mean, I teach this stuff for God's sake. How do I, I'm, I'm done with that story. I have to keep, and that's why my four pillars, my four quarters, these, these, they help to soften the bumper of these edges to remind myself that I'm allowed to be fully human. This doesn't mean that I'm wrong or anything is wrong. This is the human experience and to give myself grace to be able to maybe even laugh about it and go, here we go again. Okay. Let, you know, to, to have, to find the joy and the humor and the softness in our human experience, because we all want this end. We all want to get to this finish line, um, but it doesn't exist and that's okay. Oh, I have loved this. And, and I'm sure we could find a whole other 10 subjects and carry on. <laughs> but it's been amazing. So thank you so much. We are going to put up your links so that people can find you and find out more about you. Thank you. What is the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, you can find me on my website, which is my name, ginahatsis.com. I'm just across every social media platform as Gina Too Much Woman or Gina Hatsis. So come find me, say hello. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to talk with you. Thank you so much and for sharing everything. And uh, my final word was you talking about, you know, these amazing women that you shared stages with and thought leaders and, and I guess being where I am on my journey and my experience is, you know, you're one of those thought leaders for me. So I really appreciate you coming on and having this conversation with me. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for doing the work that you do. We all are pieces of the puzzle. So I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Thank Big you. love from the other side of the pond. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me for another Fear Soul Conversation. To find out more about me and my work, please see the links in the show notes. And of course, don't forget to like, share and subscribe. I look forward to you joining me next time.